Welcome to the Success IQ podcast, the show for entrepreneurs wanting to create and live an exceptional life. I'm your host, Jeff Nicholson, and this is episode 137. For those of you who are new to the show, welcome. Um, I'm Jeff Nicholson, as I said, and I'm a specialist in performance and mindset, working with entrepreneurs all over the world, supporting them to be the best and perform at their highest levels in life and business. And I achieve this through my coaching and online programs. Wherever you are listening to this, firstly, I hope you're safe and well. And secondly, I want to make sure that you understand that my aim is for you to learn and implement the valuable lessons shared in these episodes. Remember to create success often requires us to take a pause, to reflect, and then to take action. Let's get started. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, I truly hope you are having an amazing week. So we are in the middle of lockdown. This is season four, it's beginning. Um, we went quiet a little bit, just trying to get uh, deal with the madness of what is going on. But for me, I wanna keep on doing these things. Thank you very much for all of those people that sent me the lovely messages about my um, staying sane during COVID um, episode at the end of season two, uh, season three, sorry. Um, but yeah, we're in season four now, and yeah, the, the world has just massively changed. And, you know, who knows what the new normal is going to be. And if we're, we're looking at new strategies here at um, Success IQ HQ, so to speak, about how we can change that. So make, make sure you listen to the mid-roll where we're talking about the Success IQ Summit that we are putting out during the month of May. So don't don't miss that one as well. Well, who have we got today? So this week's guest is a great guest, Chris Tuff. Now, Chris is the author of US Today's bestseller, The Millennial Whisperer. In his book, Chris offers research-based, time-tested strategies for bridging communication gaps between millennials and the rest of the workforce. With millennials on track to make up 75% of the workforce by 2030, it's crucial for employers to harness the strengths of this generation and help develop strong leaders for the future. Chris debunks myths about millennials while providing an in-depth look at generational stereotypes that do tend to be true. He'll share practical, real-time tested solutions to better understand millennials and effectively recruit, retain, and motivate this passionate generation. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Jeff, for having me. Pleasure to be here. So, Chris, before we dive into this really interesting topic, can you give us a little bit of a backstory of what's brought you to become the Millennial Whisperer? Yeah, sure. So, one thing I, I talked to a lot of people about was... Uh, obviously, I grew up uh, in America uh, with a very British father, um, but you know, it was since after graduating college, I had 64 job interviews before I landed my first job. And it was during that process that I kind of went through what I call the pinball machine of life, where it was this natural selection, where it was lucky 65th that... I kind of just fell into the digital and social media world in 2003. And it was that natural selection that spit me out kind of in this place and zone that was close to my core passions, which is, uh, you know, through about five years of being at that agency where I landed. And um, it was a, through five lateral moves within that organization. I was a creative copywriter for a little bit. I was an account person. And in year five, I kind of found myself in this uh, uh, constantly evolving social media, emerging media space. And the owner of the company, we had grown from me being the 13th employee to just over 400 employees in that time. And, and the CEO pulled me aside and said, okay, listen, Chris, there's this new thing called a viral video. And if you can get a viral video, we'll give you your own department all around emerging and social media. And I was like, awesome what's a viral video? And she kind of laughed. She said, well, uh, it's, I guess if you get over a million views of a video that you film, that's a viral video. So it was around that time that I was dating my wife, um, you know, for a solid three months and I was ready to put a ring on it. And I, both of us are identical twins and I couldn't fly my twins down for the engagement as it was burning a hole in my pocket. And I instead 
thought, all right, well, I'm going to get two birds with one stone. I'm going to film my engagement video of me just running down the street and pretending to sprain my ankle. And I'm going to go from spraining my ankle to surprising my wife. And I'm going to send it to my twins, our twins. But I'm also going to put it on ChristopherTuff.com and see if I can make it a viral video. Fast forward about, uh, she did say yes. It was a scale of emotion the internet hadn't really seen before in a three and a half minute clip. And I got, I ended up getting 7 million views in that first week of putting it on my URL. This was before YouTube. And uh, Good Morning America, which is the big morning uh, TV show, national show, ended up flying down, interviewing us. We were on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. And it was at that moment that I knew that I had kind of fallen into this zone of um, both passion and purpose and profession. That, that, that elusive overlap, uh, I will tell a lot of people, especially young people, ridiculous things tend to happen when that, when that takes place. And that started me on this journey, which ended up becoming my, my, my first real calling card, which was kind of one of the original people to work directly with Facebook and a lot of these emerging media companies. Um, and that's where I kind of really cut my teeth. And it was, it was through that process that I was always surrounded by young people. And I would always hear time and time again, as I talked to different executives from very large corporations and small corporations, people would lament just how much they hated millennials. And I would always defend them. And it finally, finally culminated in an executive retreat when I was with 14 other guys three years ago. And on that retreat, I introduced myself and I have an ad agency that I'm a partner at with almost 380 employees. And I introduced myself and I was like, I don't really know what I do anymore, but I've kind of become the millennial whisper. 90% of our, our employees are millennials and I'm kind of the millennial whisper. And then I, I shared my story and some of my you know, entrepreneurial tips and tricks. And then I sat down around the fire and the guy leading the whole thing, Tommy Breedlove, he kicks me. And I didn't know Tommy at the time. He goes, you better write that book. And I was like, what book? He goes, the millennial whisper. And then the guys obviously then started asking me questions. They were like, so I have this massive problem with these millennials. I can't stand them. Tell me some of the things you do, Chris. So I started talking about some of the things that I did and, and uh, they were kind of flabbergasted. And it was three weeks later that three out of those 14 guys ended up calling me. They're like, Chris, I'm putting these things into place at my organization and it's working. People are happier. People are staying longer. And I find that just generally speaking, they're harder workers. So it was then that I knew I had to write this book. Um, and so fast forward to today, I published almost a year ago, we've sold close to 100,000 books and I'm doing really big engagements with uh, big companies like Nike uh, and the Home Depot and starting to finally actually get overseas uh, uh, to some other uh, countries and parts of the world that, um, you know, really it's deep down a lot of people um, my favorite quote is that millennials aren't the problem. They just expose all the problems. And deep down, we, we all really want the same things they want. It's just the one thing getting in the way is the mentality of, well, I had to do it this way. Why don't they? Um, and, you know, it's really a two-way street. And we'll talk more about that of, you know, what are the things that this younger generation needs from us to help guide them in the same way of what are the things that we need? from them and what do we need to accommodate on to, to make it a better environment where we all succeed and thrive. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I think um, that if you want the older generation, we've been acclimatized to a very different way, possibly of looking at life. Sure. And it's, it's, you know, it's, you know, I grew up more in a command and control environment for for when I was going through my career and stuff and as I came out of that and into the sort of the entrepreneur space and it's a very it's a very very different way of thinking and I think some of the I'll call them old timers I'll probably get told off for that <laughs> um, but they they have this very archaic attitude about how it needs to be and how everyone should do it like you mentioned a hundred percent and, you know, and the big thing that I'm finding is that, you know, if you take the top five things that millennials are looking for in their leaders, uh, the number, statistically speaking, according to both the 2018 and now 2019 Deloitte Millennial Survey, the number one thing that they're looking for is inspirational leadership. 
Number two is they want autonomy. Number three, they want transparency. And, you know, if you break a lot of this stuff down, what everyone is looking for is we got to throw that idea of being the bossy boss and living in this hierarchical kind of division and instead create real connections with our people. And it's why yeah. I bring up some of the controversial points of you should follow your people on Instagram or in social media. So when you come in on a Monday, you can say, Meg, I saw that dog you adopted. It's the cutest thing I've ever seen. Tell me more. You know, they want to make sure you're taking a vested interest in their personal lives because mm. it's, it's no longer work-life balance. It's work-life integration. And if we're not doing yeah. that within our walls to adapt to it, then your people will just walk. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I, yeah, one of the focuses I have on my clients is harmonizing work and life because it's this it's no it no longer do you have to see it as two well they've never been really two separate things everything's incorporated in one but i think it's really interesting because when you talk about inspirational leader autonomy and transparency that was everything that the comp the you know that many of my friends and associates and in some cases me they they never saw within sure. their career because that was the opposite to what we were totally. what we were all educated so it's it's really interesting for them to go i want to work with an inspirational leader right their, their whole you know and autonomy which is a really interesting one you know teach us and then let us do it sure again you know micromanagement and stuff is is another good thing so if we if we look into that if you if you know if we're looking at companies who are wanting to bring people in um, you know, from the, if you want the millennial space, um, what what sort of advice do you look at to help them maintain engaged? Like following Instagrams, really, like on social media is an interesting one. Sure, because the if you want the old school would be no, no, we can't, right. we can't follow that. And, and in some cases, it was we won't follow that because if they complain that's a dismissal offense or whatever right. the heck it was. Right. So uh, it's, I'm really intrigued about this sort of how can you help engage sure. the, the teams, if you could so, share that. I mean, absolutely. And, you know, I think it comes down. I mean, one of the, There's nothing worse than someone that probably appears on a speech or comes on a podcast and they do what I call swoop and poop, where they talk about all these theories and ideas and then there's no tactics. So I want to ground these things in tactics and, you know, if you take even inspirational leadership, right? Um, inspirational leadership, the unfortunate side is it is that is very much a qualitative uh, leadership trait. And people's interpretation of what it takes to be an inspirational leader differs from person to person. But generally speaking, a lot of leaders, if you ask them, for example, you ask Bob, hey, Bob, listen, uh, millennials, they want inspirational leadership more than anything else. Now, Bob, would you consider yourself to be an inspirational leader? Bob will think about it for about three seconds and say, heck yeah, I'm an inspirational leader. My, my team lights up. They laugh at my jokes. Yeah, absolutely. I got that one checked. And it's like, okay, thanks, Bob. And then you go to two people on Bob's team and you say, hey, listen, we're, we're looking into Bob. And we want to know whether or not he's an inspirational leader. Is, he an, is Bob an inspirational leader? Their first question back to you is going to be, is Bob going to find out if I tell you the truth? <laughs> and then you're like, listen, Bob's not going to find out. And then like, their immediate response is, hell no, he's not inspirational. You know, I fall asleep anytime he talks to us, blah, blah, blah. And so what I love to then dissect is, you know, working with some of these executives of very large organizations, uh, we've got to ask our people first and foremost, how they judge us in these characteristics. And it's why I created the millennial leadership assessment with one of the top survey guys, top professors at Vanderbilt, where we break down eight different characteristics. Uh, and, uh, you know, the first one being inspirational leadership and we ask their people through a 360 survey whether or not they are inspirational. Now, if you find that you rank low, and when I see that this data or I ask people in a room after they have their surveys in hand, if you rank low in this place, here are some of the things that you can start doing. One, create more connection with your people. You might be an introvert. You might you know, not want to, you know, you feel exhausted at the end of every day, but here are things that you need to be doing. You need to be doing more rewards and recognition. 
right? You need to be doing things from the top down. What's that monthly award that you're going to be giving people, but also create systems where they just can reward one another from a peer to peer standpoint. I use an example of a dentist's office, a buddy of mine, he has what he calls his ADS bucks. It's one of my favorite examples of a turnkey peer to peer recognition system that works. And what he does at the beginning of every month is he gets a $50 blank bill with uh, Atlanta Dental Spa Bucks. And he gives one of those to every single one of his employees, half of which are hourly kind of blue collar employees. And it was, it's during that month that people can go to the common area in right by the coffee machine and they can post that $50 ADS bucks to another person on the team. So I would say, this is for Erica. And then I'd say, uh, for going above and beyond for helping me with that really hard patient the other day. Uh, and then you just staple it to the wall. And what's interesting is two things happen at the end of any given month when people walk up that wall. One, there's the people that see that they're on there five times and they just made 250 bucks. And they get that kind of pat in the back and that affirmation that they're doing the right things. But the opposite is true for the person that walks up to that wall three months in a row and there's no ADS bucks waiting for them. They start changing the way they work. They start changing the way they support one another. And that's, I think, another. So rewards and recognition is one of those things that we can start putting into place to be more inspirational. And statistically speaking, the single greatest thing that any leader can do and anyone listening to that po this podcast can do is when someone on your team gets any form of uh, an email with a, a props or a, yeah, I just want to let you know that Meg came by the office and did a great job presenting or this person went above and beyond. The single greatest thing that you can do is you can forward on that email to the boss and the boss's boss and CC them on that reply. And that takes less than one minute. And that's what I tell, if you can do that, then you can actually check more boxes with just that very small piece of effort that then will help create an environment to where not only you're seen as inspirational, but where people are driving to take it to the next level. And we could talk about why this is, why, why do we have uh, I, you know, the cover of my book is all of the adjectives and negatives that really um, yeah. define this generation. I, I, I laughed at that. I did yeah, like needy, yeah. needy, yeah, yeah. needy, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I mean, I'm uh, entitled, right? There are these things that impatient and there's a truth behind a lot of these things. And the reality is, is that this generation is a product of one, you know, helicopter parenting as well as participation trophies. And two, a lot of them grew up with social media at their fingertips. So anytime they wanted that fill, anytime they wanted that, that kind of pick me up, they would just post something and they would get their 120 likes or whatever it is. And they'd be well on their way. And if they didn't get the 120 likes, they'd delete it. So no one else would see it. And so, you know, there's a, there, there's a reason why this generation is the way they are. And so it's how can we start adapting while also meeting in the middle? Yeah. Yeah. It's also interesting is, is it's when I meet the millennials and I speak to them or in a group of them, one of the things that's really interesting is, is I grew up with many, many people who read company mission statements and there were just, there were a lot of money and just spent to look good. Yeah. And I speak to the millennials or around that age they very much want to make sure, and it goes in with this inspirational leader and authenticity, I guess, and everything else. They want to work for a company that meets their mission statement, not absolutely, you know, and 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 and, and you know, and that's so lovely to have a comp, you know, people who go, well, hang on, they hold the company's accountable to. Hang on, you're saying that you want to do this, yet that's the ultimate thing that you don't want to do. And hypocrisy is absolutely. the worst thing you can do as a leader yeah. in today's day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so you've got, you know, when you're looking at, you've got inspirational leader. Autonomy is a really interesting one because there's, that must be really difficult it for is. the, 
I guess for someone to let leave control or what they perceive they've got control on and then leave someone to go, go on, do it off your own and, and use your own initiative. Yeah. Cause I suppose, again, it's much like parenting. You're learning from the person that taught you. Yeah. So it's these, the, the millenniums coming in, have got this opportunity to change, you know, like we all do as we're parents, we try to change what our parents did that we didn't necessarily like doesn't always work. Right. And to bring that in. And that must be quite a challenge as well. It is. I mean, and you look at both um, autonomy as well as authenticity and transparency, all of those kind of group together and, and rank way up on the list of needs for what people are looking for out of their leaders. But you, you break any of those things down. My, my favorite interpretation of autonomy was in researching for this book, we used 70 different, very comprehensive studies to fuel the, the, all of the information and, and ideas in it. And the qualitative side was as simple as typing into Google in this research, number one boss for millennials. And I came across a Forbes article on the number one boss for millennials. And it was a guy out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, uh, named Ben Kirshner. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to call him. Because I want, to, I want to pick his brain, especially about this autonomy thing. And Ben agreed to talk to me, and, and we were talking about this idea of autonomy. And I said, all right, as the number one boss, according to Forbes magazine for millennials, talk to me about autonomy. And his immediate response was, Chris, do you know the Under Armour campaign, Protect This House? And I was like, yeah, I'm vaguely familiar with it. Tell me more. He was like, well, listen, what I do is anytime I'm with my people, I remind them it's up to them to protect this house. And I tell them, well, first, within an organization, do you have a culture that's worth protecting? And you will quickly find out when you tell people that it's up to them to protect this house, which means it's up to them to help spit out the bad culture fits. It's up to them to cover for one another when they give unlimited paid vacations. And by pushing down that control and telling them it's up to them to protect this, they will protect it. But they need to be reminded at every single turn. Because the opposite is also a benefit from this because they remember that, hey, we got something special here that's truly worth protecting. And, and that's one of my favorite interpretations of autonomy. When you, when you look at some of the other things like transparency, uh, as well as kind of once again, where all this stuff groups together. One of the biggest things that, and authenticity, one of the greatest things that all people are craving, not just millennials and now Gen Z, but all people want just context. And we forget that transparency, what they're looking for, they're not looking for on the far left, transparency can be interpreted as the Brene Brown uh, vulnerability, where uh, you, I tell people that you, know, you need to be more transparent. They're like, I'm not crying in front of my people. It's like, it's not that. And then they go the other side. It's like, they think it's, uh, they interpret it as financial transparency, where they're like, I'm not going to tell everyone what our profit margins are or that what everyone's salary is. It's like, it's not that either. What they want is they want context. Why are you making the decisions that you're making? So piece together all of those decisions that then contribute to why you're making those decisions. So they just want the logical understanding of what that overall picture looks like. And that also means that for the first time ever, you might have to admit some of the stuff that you put into place that didn't work. There might be an acquisition target or a new business account that you're trying to win. Talk about why you didn't win it and how you're going to get better. And it's through that that I think you really can go above and beyond and, and start really improving um, for both this generation and just as an organization. Yeah, I mean, there's a, I mean, the, the other couple of interesting things with them, and I, I, I'd love to know your input based on, um, you know, the, the, your your knowledge and and your experiences. This conception of the word hustle <laughs> for young kids, for the, yeah. I'm going to call them kids. I don't mean that condescending, but you know, I've got a 20 year old and I've got an 18 year old and they're very, very different, but I'm countlessly spinning. What I do is I'm on all the time. I'm speaking to people and they're all about hustle and doing this. And I just worry so much that I know the mistakes I made and what it led to based on what I believed, what is now called hustle. Sure. What's your, oh, I love what's your thought question. on that? Because, because then the other thing is, is I suppose the caveat to that is then you speak to some, um, 
young 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 adults and and um, millennials and they have a, a a level of wisdom about self-care yeah that far 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 surpasses the majority of people who are you know the previous generation and and exterior so i'd love to before we go into the second part of the show yeah. i'd love to know what your input was on that well so okay i think there's two sides of this and my buddy nick who was the editor of my book uh and he calls it you know one of the things that he's trying to instill in his gen zers is what he calls the hustle muscle and there's something missing in today's day and age where there's a quick fix for everything. You want your food, you can have it delivered. You want that instant anything, you you get it. And you look at things like Fire Festival and some of these disasters that happen out there. And the harsh reality is that it takes hard work and it takes consistency in order to truly succeed. And so part of that hustle muscle and what I try, I mean, and as the father of two young Gen Zers, and what I try to really instill in them is the character traits of resilience and tenacity. And resilience and tenacity, I think, are, are as any successful entrepreneur knows, you just can't stop, you know? And, you know, that doesn't mean that, that you have to be working all the way through the night. Um, or, you know, the Gen Xer, they are a product of this time period where they saw their parents go through some very tumultuous uh, economic times. And they entered the workforce thinking that the more I work, the more hours I put in, it's almost a rite of passage when you start sending those emails at 3 a.m., 4 a.m. And it's like, I don't sleep, all I do is work. And so I'm not saying that that is the solution. I mean, there's definitely a, a balance piece that needs to be in play. What I'm saying is that You've got to continue to drive something forward with lots of small wins and celebrating those small wins as a group and with your young people is so important instead of just those champagne moments. Because what's happened with these young minds, and you see it with the younger millennials especially and the Gen Zers, is that they live in this place that has been largely crafted by both their parents celebrating the big wins, but also their friends with Instagram and what I call the Pinterest station of a generation where it's just the champagne moments that are being celebrated. So they want the big win in the end, but they aren't willing to put in all the work to get them there. It's up to us as leaders to celebrate and push them along the way and to teach them how to be resilient when they get knocked down and to just never give up towards that goal, right? So it's that two-way piece. And it's also what I call my 70-30 rule, which is understanding that the grass is always greener complex is more it's an epidemic you 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 see the statistics about people leaving their jobs because they're constantly pursuing this life of perfection that they see live out with their friends in instagram and elsewhere and the harsh reality is that 30 percent of your job is just going to suck so instead on the first day take someone's job description and say, all right, it's going to be a 70-30 balance or maybe out of the gates, it's a 50-50 balance. But let's figure out what's in your job description and what's going to fire you up and fuel you up. And then let's figure out what's in that 50%. And it's through working through that 50% you know, zone of suck that you're able to get to that other side. So that's my quick rant on all that. <laughs> no, that's cool. That's cool. I'm just always intrigued with that because I, I see... I see the negative effects, the burnout effects when I'm working with young entrepreneurs. Sure. Of the of the fact, you know, and I totally get, you know, success doesn't come from just doing a nine to five and thinking it's all over until nine to five. It's yeah. it's it's a peaks and troughs and all sorts of different things. But it's that well, let's burn the midnight oil totally. all the time because that's and it's I just see so much damage being done. For and sure. Well and, and then they're passing it on to the 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 generation next totally and because all they see is this they, all they see is their champagne moments so they there's this expectations and it's also a dive, it, it's happening with our all generations all five generations in the workplace and you know one of the best things i've learned through talking to some amazing entrepreneurs is don't get bogged down with these metrics of success that you put into place um you know how many books sold or whatever don't get bogged down in these pieces of information that are not applicable to 
what will take you three years to be a success. So, you know, I'll tell any other author, don't look at any of your sales numbers until at least after a year. Don't worry about that first week, second week, third week. Don't like, don't bog yourself down in that because any entrepreneur knows it takes three years to build something successful. And so the first year is building, the second year is honing, and the third year is cranking. And, uh, you know, now I'm a year into my book since publishing. I expected I had it. You know, I expected that I would be on the main stage at Nike out of the gates. And it took a year to get there. And that was that in itself is actually pretty fast. And so we've got these unrealistic expectations that are crafted by, I think, both social media and just society that we got to be a little bit more patient. Hey guys, did you know I was putting together an online event called the Success IQ Summit? It's playing during the whole of May and it's designed to assist you in transforming your results for creating success in your life and business. With over 10 hours of training sessions, seven experts in a range of disciplines who are going to share with you strategies and tactics, including topics such as sales, branding, mindset, productivity, resilience, video, and more. And don't worry about missing anything because with the all access pass, which starts from as little as 50 pounds during the early bird offer, you can watch any of the replays at a time that suits you best. Don't let fear, demotivation, or the current situation stop you from getting the results you want and you need to enjoy that exceptional life. For more information and the latest offers, please visit www.successiqsummit.com. Stay safe, stay well, and stay positive. Take care. Let's jump to the second part of the show. This is where I get an opportunity to put you on the hot seat, so to speak. Um... Are you ready? I'm ready. Yeah, you thought. <laughs> I think okay. I'm ready. <laughs> okay, the first question is, on average, how much time a week do you dedicate to self-development? That's body, mind, and spirit. It, I would say, well, and we, uh, at least two hours a day, I would okay. say. Okay. And do you have a, is, is that sort of spread across that body, mind, and spirit? Do you have tilt towards I one don't. specific type? Okay. I think I go through different stages where I need a, I think it varies on what, what stage I'm going through. Um, but you know, I, I believe some of these things will come through, you know, um, organized events. Um, like I've got a small group that I'm a part of that we all push each other and challenge each other and act as practical guides to one another when we're going through what can sometimes be a very emotional driven decision process. Um, but then the same is true with more, um, so that, you know, that's kind of come and go in a day. Uh, and then also, you know, things like I do mindfulness with my daughter every single night to get us both to sleep. Um, so yeah, it's very important to me. And, you know, one of the things I've really learned is, you know, you got to invest in yourself. You have to do it. So, yeah, I was never, I was never, well, I was, I always thought when I've left school and I got into my career, what I believed was my career at that time is it was like, I'm never going to learn again. And like, then I went through totally. my illness and came out the other side. And like, now I just love to learn. Totally. But I get to choose what I learn. It's not like you sit down and go and learn about rocks and stuff in a classroom totally. for several hours. It's just a well, very different way. Of and I think it. another part of that is like investing in a coach is so important. And yeah, um, so, you know, that's a big part of uh Anytime that I take someone under my wing, it's, it's mm. the first thing we take care of. That's cool. That's cool. Question number two, what book has made the biggest impact to your self-development or personal growth and why? So my, my coach is a guy who was uh, the person that ended up um, inspiring my book on that retreat, Tommy Breedlove. And I ended up... Um, hiring him, um, you know, kind of informally, uh, as my coach right after that weekend, um, as I went on this journey. Um, and he is actually just named yesterday as a national bestseller in the U S. Um, he was, he, he was like, no top 20 books on Amazon, um, number four on Barnes and Noble. And the name of his book is legendary. And what's cool is it's, it's taken all the things that he's taught me as his, um, as his mentee, 
uh, and it's called it down into one book. So it's almost the best of and uh, that just published. So that is by far my favorite personal development book. Excellent. Okay. Um, number three, what app makes the biggest impact to your business or life? So business, Instagram, uh, it's where I create the, 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 the most connections um, and the best way for anyone to get in touch with me. Uh, so at tough22 is my Instagram handle and I answer everything. If you want a free book, I'll send you a free book. If you can't afford it, um, just let me know. And then um, from a um, development side, it would have to be Calm. Uh, so I use Calm uh, every single night. Uh, and sometimes yeah. throughout the day. It's my favorite uh, favorite one. I tested Headspace and Calm. Yeah. And just for me, I just swayed a little bit more to to Calm. Totally. Um, but yeah, I'm the same. It's uh, although I, I lo- and I love the little nighttime story. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. Just in case you can't find one. It's, like, it's funny. My my uh, ten uh, almost ten year old. She will not stop listening to the Nutcracker, and so. She and that's her. That's kind of become her sleeping aid because she goes to sleep. It's that voice that she, she and she's memorized the whole thing. So I'll actually set a separate uh, daily meditation or one of the other ones. The Sigur Ross one's really good too. That, that's instant calming. Well, I laugh because there's, uh, there's a couple of um, there's a couple of uh, ladies who I work with, and um, the first thing that came when I sort of said, you know, you want to try calm, was like. Oh my God, Matthew McConaughey's got this book and uh, his totally. voice. I'm like, all right, okay. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> I said, we're not supposed to buy it for the actors. We're supposed oh, to get it because it benefits us. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> okay, question number four: What's your biggest business? What's your biggest business mistake, which turned into a valuable lesson, and what did it teach you? So. That's an interesting one. I mean, I would say the first one were failing 64 job interviews before getting to my successful 65th. Because it's good going. It is good going. I mean, it I- really teaches you what you're <laughs> passionate about. And yeah. uh, it's instant um, ego check. Um, yeah. So, you know, I'd say early in my career, I would say later in my career, it's one of the best pieces of advice I've ever gotten was hire an expert for everything. And I have invested nearly half a million American dollars in uh, launching this book and, and, and really getting a business going out of it. And some of those things were had a great return and others did not. But I don't have any regrets because now I know what works and what doesn't. And I think, once again, when you have that feeling, you got to go all in and what made me make that decision was when it was a bestseller, I was like, all right, well, a lot of the, the, the risk is behind me. So uh, I'm going to invest in myself and do this thing. So I would say that, you know, there were a lot of mistakes and a lot of probably wasted dollars, but I don't see them as wasted. No. And, and, and sometimes that's the growth bit, isn't it? You don't, you don't know, you don't know what you don't know. And then when you make those mistakes, you've learned an extremely valuable lesson that you will use for the rest of your days. A hundred percent. And now a lot of my friends are becoming authors and they're like, Hey, so Chris, what were some of the mistakes? I'm like, all right, yeah. let's, let's talk about yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll wait until the uh, recording's finished. I'll speak to you. Anyway, yeah, exactly. so, <laughs> question number five is what are your challenges in harmonizing work and life and how do you manage them? Great question. Um, and I don't know if I'm always effective in this. It's one of my big goals this year, but one of them is, rule systems and setting up rule systems. So between the hours of six and eight, I'm not allowed to have my phone with me. Um, And so that's one of them. But the other is making sure that I I create those moments for a longer term connection with my daughters and wife. And that means uh, monthly dates with each one of them, as well as uh, extended vacations that need to last more than 48 hours. Um, where we can really reconnect as a family at least three times a year. Brilliant. That's brilliant. Okay, question number six. What advice would you give an entrepreneur that you wish you had known starting out? Ooh, that's a good one. I I think it would have something to do with um, never giving up. And so, you know, no matter what, you can go ahead and pivot along the way, but always invest in yourself. 
And so be very careful about who you partner up with and make sure that whoever that is, that um, they're the right people to augment your, you know, to be the yin to your yang and, and really, you know, if you need, I'm usually the chaos and vision person, so I need order to that. Um, but be very careful about who you bring in because that's where your greatest risks lie. Uh, when you're just investing in yourself, you, you cannot lose. You cannot lose. You just got to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. What's well, the only option is, is yeah. you know, as soon as you stay stagnant, things can, you know, you know, even if you're going in the wrong way, you're still learning something. And I think surrounding yourself with practical people that um, push you and can give you the, you know, the encouragement when you need it, but also the, those, those gut checks for uh, when you need it as well. Yeah, that's an interesting one, because I always talk about, you know, creating the right support structure. And you mentioned that you, you've got a group of people who, you know, cheer you on, support you, probably challenge you when you, you don't necessarily want to be challenged. On yeah, stuff. exactly. <laughs> and um, what is for you, is that a sort of mastermind setup? Or yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's a mastermind. There's eight of us. We call ourselves the grade eight. Um, there are no dues and, um, you know, very, very, uh, quote unquote successful people. Um, and you know, it's, it's interesting because people ask me since publishing the book, what's the greatest lesson you've learned? And one of those is, is around people. And my greatest surprise was, uh, and one of them, Tommy actually told me, he goes, your, your, your best and most loyal friends will support you at the lowest of lows and highest of highs. And when you write and publish a book, you usually experience both of those. And those people are not the same. And so the ones that I expected to support me the most did not. And the ones I least expected me to did. And I think that's more common on expectations of others than anything else. Um, but, you know, I think it's important. And that's what's so great about this group is that they just want you to win. And we just want yeah. the other ones to to win. Yeah, and it's, and it's, a, it's a rare, it, you know, it, it, for me, it's you've got a, your mission and one of your missions in life is to find as many of those types of characters as you can. Totally. Because, you know, supporting each other. And I always found it really interesting. You, you go to a, well, at least my, my mastermind, you go there thinking, it's going to be all about business, you know, you know, X, Y, and Z. And then the next thing you know, you're dealing with so many personal issues and all of a sudden you know that if, you know, if the stuff hits the fan, yeah, as you say, it's not always going to be what you, who you consider a friend in necessarily the sense, but a true friend is going to test you and challenge you and not say what you always want to hear. Absolutely. It's going to be, you know, to that point where it's like, look, we believe in you, but don't think this is going to be an easy ride because we're going to ask you questions. It's like, no, 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 don't ask me questions because I don't want to. I don't <laughs> exactly. Do yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Exactly. So, question seven is what is your definition of success? Oh, I love that question. So, I actually started, I start my book this way um, in at the beginning of the Millennial Whisperer. And you know, it starts in my rock bottom. And I hit rock bottom three years ago, uh, where I kind of lost sight of my priorities. And one of the key things that I changed was um, my definition of success. And my old definition of success before hitting rock bottom was beating my older brothers. I'm the youngest of six kids, all over achievers. Um, and my success metric was beating them in the game of life. And that is a horrible metric of success. And so what it then was redefined as is that um, I promised myself that success would be gauged on a daily basis when my head hit the pillow and not on a yearly basis or, you know, um, just those champagne moments. And so, um, and that definition is, did I have the impact that um, I intended to have, you know, so it's amount of impact made with energy put in and my own per my purpose is to inspire and connect. And I put everything through that purpose statement to inspire and connect. And that's where all of my energy is, is put into. And uh, the good news is every single night since making that metric, I've been successful. You see, I love that because I think this is, I think this is the key thing that, you know, we talk about that champagne moment and everything. And I think too many people, young, old, doesn't matter. One, they don't truly know what success means to them. They're following a criteria based on what someone else has told them 
they haven't really explored or or what on there and also they're looking at you know there's there's bob again he keeps popping up he's a popular bloke today um but he's his you know he's got this great life on instagram he's got these yeah. top, you've got no actual idea of what this guy's life is like um and i think the the criteria of understanding what success means to you one can be a complete breath of fresh air because you realize it isn't you know there's nothing wrong with wanting nice cars and wanting lovely holidays and everything else but actually that is a very materialistic version of success it's what and actually that's not a version of success that's an identification of success totally actually what is your definition what does it really mean for you to have because i believe ultimately it's about being as you say impact which ultimately will give you a state of happiness or fulfillment absolutely you know and i think at the core we need to look at what does that actually mean for us as an individual and I think authenticity is a big, uh, you know, uh, my friend Tommy will say self-actualization is when you're the same person in every single conversation, no matter who that person is or where you are. And I do feel like what you see is what you get and, um, you know, being true to yourself and knowing, you know, it's one of the things that I put in the book as well is that, you know, we've, it's up to us to help bring people's purposes out. doesn't matter what that is, just put a stake in the ground and 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 empower your people to march towards that and i think it's once you have a better understanding of what that is and where you're going that we're able to better evolve and and i think be the person that is real in all these different situations instead of wearing these masks yeah so it's it's actually despite i think a lot of people get fearful what people are going to think it's a hell of a lot less pressure when you can be just you Totally. Because then you're not, you haven't spent this ridiculous amount of energy in creating, as you said, all these masks. Right. Which, exactly. You know, it, it's, it's, it takes, it's almost, you know, each one's like a different role, requires a different amount of energy, requires, you know, all sorts of different skills, but they're not, they're not worth it. Absolutely. Okay. Final question. Um, do you have any daily routines? I know obviously you talked about mindfulness or rituals that make a huge impact to your day. I would say that the uh, biggest one, let's see. I mean, I think you got to start the day right. And uh, I wake up at um, 4.55 and go to the gym or I get on my Peloton and try to win every single yeah. day. And How many times you've won? Oh, so my goal for the end, never. Uh, my goal for the year is to get top 20. And, uh, and you know, it's like 14,000 people. And I've got, I, I hit 27 two days ago. But uh, I think it's nearly impossible to win. That's what I've, where I'm going up against these, like, I mean, professional cyclists. And I'm not a professional cyclist. But starting the day right and in, in that, um that that is so important to me um, because I think it it creates the momentum for the rest of of that day. I know you a believer in you know you, you're obviously a, a, a morning riser. Do you believe that that is a um, an attribute to the the success that you are building? The fact that you are disciplined enough to wake up at that time? Uh, I I actually do. I I think part of it is. You know, you got to put in the work, and you know, it's people will see me. I'm almost forty, and they're like, "Chris, ah, oh, you got the best genes." It's like, well, you know what? Um, I wake up at I I, I spend a lot of money on a trainer. I wake up at I don't want to go to the gym at four fifty five, and but you know what? I put in a lot of that hard work to be healthier and um, you know, to have the energy and and everything else. So. I do think that there is a lot to be said. And I, I also will say to my friends that it is small habits that end up and small choices that end up changing a lot of the big things that end up coming out of it. And, you know, I, mountain biking and kiteboarding are two of my outlets. And, you know, so, so often my friends will be like, oh yeah, I can't make it because I'm hungover or, yeah, you know, I, I, um, you know, blah, 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 you know, there's all these excuses. And it's like that one thing, that one small choice, like, cause it gets, it brings me so much joy and, uh, 
it's my outlet and it's what fuels me and fires me up that for the rest of that week that I'm able to dip yeah. into. So. And do you, and obviously, you know, you, you look after yourself. Do you value value your sleep, uh, sleep health as well? I do. And I, I find that when you wake up that early and that's, that's Monday, Wednesday, Friday, that I wake up that early on, on the rest of the days. I, I mean, I quote unquote sleep into 6:45. Uh, so, I yeah, so I do try to make up for it. Um, with but seven, I, seven plus hours a night is pretty critical. The rest of those days on on the days that Monday, Wednesday, Friday, it's probably a little less. Brilliant, brilliant. So this is the final part where the floor is yours for you to share how we can get hold of you, how we can find out more about you, where can we get hold of the book, anything you would like to share. Um, Chris, please take it away. Sure. So, uh, the, you know, the exciting news is that we, I think we sold close to 100,000 copies of the book so far. And uh, we just sold the Spanish rights and the Portuguese rights. And so it's being um, distributed uh, on an international level. But the best place to get it is uh, on Amazon. And uh, I'm also on Audible. It's me doing the whole thing, which was a miserable, miserable experience for someone that's impatient me. <laughs> uh recording it hopefully that the product is much better than the experience of recording yourself and reading your own words um but so that's also available and then uh you can get in touch with me actually if you go to the and after uh writing the book millennial is a difficult word to spell it's two l's and two n's themillennialwhisperer.com forward slash success IQ. We've actually set up a free download of the first chapter of the book, as well as a free millennial leadership assessment that you can take. Um, and if, listen, like if anyone can't afford the book or they're having issues or whatever, just get in touch with me. The best way to get in touch with me is on Instagram at tough22. And I will send you a digital copy or, um, you know, send you a physical uh, copy of the book. So my one of my goals when this was a fellow author who's been very successful, he challenged me to give away 10,000 books. And I'm about 8,000 books uh, into giving away. So I don't want to give them all away because I do need to, to make a little money on this. Thing. Um, uh, but yeah, so that's probably the best way to get in touch with me. Brilliant. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining me. I've really, really enjoyed it. Got learned loads myself, and I'm sure the listeners have as well. So it gives me this final opportunity just to wish you the greatest success. I appreciate it. Keep keep changing the world, Jeff. I, I appreciate everything you're doing. First of all, let me just say a huge and massive thank you for joining me today. It's lovely to know you're listening, and I really appreciate the support. If you would like to know more about me, the services I offer, how to connect with me on social media, then please visit www.successiq.co.uk. Remember, if you're interested in learning some great strategies that I teach or want to be part of the amazingly supportive community where you can find lives, Q&A sessions and other great educational empowering resources, then take action and search for Success IQ Alliance on Facebook and join this brilliant group. It would be lovely to see you there. You can tune in and listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud and TuneIn and of course iTunes. And if you have enjoyed the show and have the time, please leave a rating and review because it really does help me grow the show and make the impact that I'm aspiring to do. I wish you the greatest success and remember, don't settle for mediocrity. Go out there and create and live the exceptional. Have a lovely week and remember, just one conversation can create a lifetime of results. See you next week.